Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John, we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how you doing? Hank, we're both very tired. I know that we're often tired when we record the pod, <laughs> but like right now, I, I've i been tired for a few months, and uh, Turtles All the Way Down is finally, it's it uh, like... I'm in the last hours of it belonging to me, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like in like, I don't know, like 200 hours or so, or maybe 150 hours, it will never belong to me ever again. And it's belonged to me for like six years. So I have chosen to spend these last several hundred hours with turtles all the way down awake. And there are times when I have regretted that decision, but I also mm. can't seem to make any other decision. How are you? I'm good. You know, I feel bad that I haven't read your book because you sent it to me about a week ago and I still haven't read it. And uh, But I do hope that you understand that I can't do anything. Yeah, um, I, the, 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 <laughs> the candle uh, is burning at both ends and it will not last the night. Uh, but are there are there could you have a candle and you like split off the middle part into like a third end and light that one too i believe that would actually give you four ends and um if so hank would immediately light all four of them because that's the kind of person he is no i've i've actually i've made my my candle into like the the weapon from the movie crawl uh, and it spins really fast, so it's extra oxygenated so all five ends can can burn really fast is that a movie? I'm just, I'm never, I'm not familiar with the movie, but is it a movie in which uh, the krill that blue whales eat turn evil? No. No, oh, that's disappointing. No. In fact, I couldn't, I, I can't even tell you very anything about the movie Krull. I just remember I watched it when I was a child on television and I was so uh, in love. It's just, it's, I was, it was the best thing. It was, and I, I should probably watch it again so I know how bad it is, but I really liked it then. Well, no hurry on, on reading my new book, um, but quick reminder to our listeners, they can read it on October 10th and get a signed copy too by going to probablysignedturtles.com, the number one website on the internet right now. It's blowing up. One of, 
<laughs> one of the things I did this weekend that I actually quite enjoyed was uh, was Hankler fishing almost 5,000 pieces of paper. Um, 3,000. Oh, almost 3,000? Ah, oh, geez. Yeah. God, wow. There's You're do, you doing this a lot. I uh, did not... Um, I, I did not finish. I've not done yet, but I'm like two-thirds of the way done, and it's not an insignificant task, John. No, and that's only, I will remind you, one and a half percent of the total uh, signatures. So I feel I feel bad for only doing one and a half percent now. Well, I also feel bad. I wanted to send you a second box, but you said no. I know. I feel bad, but that doesn't mean that... Here's the thing that you gotta know. Just because you feel bad doesn't mean you have to do something. Like uh, I can, I can, I can feel guilt and be like, I, I, it's really too bad that I'm not doing this thing, and I feel bad that I'm not doing it. But also, I'm not going to because I feel better about not having to do that thing. All right, Hank, that's actually a pretty good transition to our first question. We're skipping the short poem because I read, uh, I, I, I recited half of that at the Saint Vincent Millay poem. So we're good on the short poem front. We're moving on. Okay. This question comes from Matt, and it involves, um, you know, something that's that's difficult that you might or might not do. Dear John and Hank, what is the largest terrestrial animal you would feel comfortable fighting in hand-to-hand combat? Likewise, what is the smallest terrestrial animal you think would best you? Aardvarks and armadillos, Matt. John, I think that there are times when my cat could take me. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I, I was thinking that as well, Hank. Like, there's a, there's a coyote in my backyard. Uh, I mean... It's not really a backyard. There's a coyote in the forest behind my house, and I see it sometimes, and it probably weighs like 30 pounds, and I see it, and I think, we both know that if you're hungry, I'm dead. <laughs> you could totally take a coyote. I mean, I think- like No, a, I couldn't. I think like a, like I'd have a hard time like f- like fighting and winning against a porcupine, right? Cause like, yep. What am I gonna do? Like, I, like, where am I gonna punch you? What, how am I gonna strangle a porcupine? Like, I'm, like, I might be able to get a, get away without any trouble, but I don't feel like I'm gonna win. Similarly, I don't think I could kill a skunk. Um, I think the smell would overpower me. I would lose consciousness, and the skunk would slowly eat me over the course of three days. So, John, the, definitely the the largest terrestrial animal I could kill. Yeah. It's probably a tortoise, like a Galapagos tortoise. I would just hold mm-hmm. it and preventing it from ge- prevent it from getting food. Yeah. Or like just <laughs> turn it over on its back. I don't know you could hold it. They weigh like 400 like... pounds. But like there, there's a number of sizes. It may be a juvenile. Um, but... I feel like you and a Galapagos tortoise, you'd probably win, but it would take like 14 days of hand-to-hand combat before <laughs> a winner was finally declared. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Uh, John, I'm in an armadillo recently uh a three-banded armadillo there they can fully enroll meaning they can become 100 ball and they just roll down a hill um one of the few uh animals that can do that i think maybe the only vertebrate and uh and and what i found out is that in in addition to being able to fully enroll this the three-banded armadillo will close almost all the way and leave a little gap intentionally so that Mm -hmm. a predator will put its nose into that little gap to try and get it and then it closes all the way and it totally will like 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 basically bite but with its armor plates the nose of the of the predator which is and this happened to my friend jesse who uh, runs animal wonders and takes care of all these exotic animals and her did she survive her finger was stuck inside the armadillo for like a half an hour but she lived she did survive. 
So we could take an armadillo, or at least Jesse could. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, do I have any tools? I guess I don't because then no hand to hand to hand or hand to no weapons, no punching, no or punching, but no like baseball bats or anything. It's just what can could you take down a coyote with your arms? And I don't think I could. All right, John, I got another question. It's from Katrina who asks, "Dear Hank and John, my summer job consists of scanning and destroying old files at a law firm." During this process, I have to remove all of the staples from documents before I feed them through a scanner. I have come to accumulate many mugs full of used staples. The summer is only halfway done, so more will be added to the collection. It feels wrong to just throw away all these staples. What would you suggest I do with them? Sometimes paperclips and fasteners, Katrina. I mean, you definitely have to melt them down into, like bullets or something you've got to melt them down into something awesome well what is a staple made of well it's that's actually um like, much more of a hank question than it is a john question well john it, ha- it just so happens that inside of my brain without googling this at all modern staples for paper staplers are made from uh-huh. zinc plated steel wires glued together and bent to form a long strip of staples so there's zinc. That sounds like something that you just already knew and like not at all like you're currently on the Wikipedia page for staple uh, and then in parentheses fastener. <laughs> because there's more than one kind of staple. Yeah. So, there's staples the store. Yeah. There's presumably some other kind of staple. Where's the disambiguation um, page for staple? <laughs> there are surgical staples. There's uh, the the staple right, the medieval right of certain German ports to require merchant vessels to unload and display their goods for sale for a certain period, often three days. There's the statue yeah, of the staple. Uh, sure. There's yeah. there's Vince Staples, the American rapper born in 1993. Yeah. There's the uh, the famous American politician King Staples, who was a Republican. Member of the Wisconsin State Assembly? That seems like a very low bar to have to jump over to get a Wikipedia page. And there is, of course, uh, the Christian post-hardcore band staple, because uh, apparently there are Christian post-hardcore bands. I mean, that's actually great. That's great. That's wonderful <laughs> that there is a Christian post-hardcore band. I wonder if there's a, a Christian pre-hardcore band. Oh, and of course, there's Staples Canada, which is like Staples, but it's in Canada. Oh, oh, I thought that was the name of a town that maybe Staples just bought. Oh, God, that's a great idea. Hank, speaking of which, we have we finally gotten to a point in our lives where we could buy Winter, South Dakota, the town that is exactly equidistant between our two homes? Uh, you know, probably not. It's a, uh, property value is surprisingly expensive. We got we to gotta buy that McDonald's. We got to buy the Holiday Inn uh, Express and Sweets Winter. Um, and then I'll, I'll... Do they have a Holiday Inn Express? They do have a Holiday Inn Express. Wow. All right. Yeah, we definitely can't we gotta afford buy it. That, I'm not, we got to buy I'm that I'm not out here elevator. trying to buy Holiday Inn Expresses, okay? Like, <laughs> that, that, that is a thriving town if it has a Holiday Inn Express. Let's get back to this question of the staples. Yeah, so you're going to get some zinc and you're going to get some steel. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and zinc is mostly what pennies are made out of, so you could send that off to the penny people and they could make pennies out of it. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a great probably, deal. Probably you get like a third of a penny out of those staples. I think that what you should do is you should freak out the attorneys that you work with. I think you should start spelling stuff out in staples at night when they're at home on their desk. And then in the morning, mm. they'll be like, why does it say um, put $50 in the scanner or I will tell your secrets in staples on my desk? Right. Good, good. 
Good. Uh, is there is there some kind of like fashion options here? <gasps> That's a great idea. You got to make a chainmail sweater yeah, out of staples. Chain That's mail. it. You make the chainmail sweater out of staples. No one will mess with you if you have a chainmail sweater. Also, it will be impossible to take off because the staples will not loop completely and they will just bind to whatever you're wearing underneath. So, furthermore, if you had a chainmail sweater, then you could take a coyote. Yeah, definitely. No, I think you could take a coyote with or without a chainmail sweater, John. I just think that you need no, to be properly no. motivated. No, but I could definitely take a coyote if I had a chainmail sweater on it for no other reason than it would make me feel super confident. I, 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 feel, I feel like it's really nice to hear that they're using some paper clips and fasteners because, of course, those can be reused. Staple is just a one-time thing. And I, uh, you know, also when you have a big stack of documents, it's not just like the hand stapler, like, you, like the, the swing line that they got in office space, but like this, like, a, like it's almost like a staple gun. And it's like, shunk, and it goes through like it could, it could go through. You could bind like two pieces of wood together with that thing. I've, uh, I've and, been using a yeah. nail gun recently for a home improvement project. And oh, my God, like. What I I mean I am done with hammers. It is over between me and hammers. <laughs> I, it, nail guns are amazing. I'm sure that like eventually I will nail my uh, finger to a piece of wood and I will be like, hmm, maybe hammers aren't so bad after all. But right now, man, I am loving life with a nail gun. Let's move on to another question, Hank. All right, I feel like we did a really good job, Katrina. The short answer is you're gonna have a couple mugs of staples for the rest of your life. So it just no, happens. you're going to make a chainmail sweater and it's going to be amazing. This question comes from Sarah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why is it that when something is spinning quickly, such as a fan, a wheel on a car, or a fidget spinner, the object itself appears to be spinning in the opposite direction than it is actually rotating? Uh, Vitit incerta mors certissima, Sarah. I believe that means life is uncertain, death is certain, but I'm just guessing. John, I don't know the answer to this question. I know the answer to this question. It's finally happened. It's finally happened. There is a question about science that Hank does not know the answer to, what, which happens all the time, but he's not pretending to know the answer, and I do know the answer. Are you sure that you're not wrong? I'm pretty sure that I'm not wrong. Okay. I know why, ca okay. I know why cameras don't... I know why cameras see them go backwards or go in... in and slowly. Yes, it is because our eyes are not actually that dissimilar from cameras. It's because the frame uh -huh. rate in our brain is not infinite. We see uh, individual images. We do not see motion. And then we create motion with our brains. And that makes things weird when they're moving really fast. Hmm. I mean, I know I, I, I am surprised that our that our eyes work that way. If they indeed do. And I look forward to, to, to emails from people telling us whether or not John was right about that one. I'm sure I can't wait for the corrections. <laughs> they will be legion. Um, <laughs> okay. Hey, how about this one from Emma, John, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Okay, so I may have made an impulse purchase of 527 glow-in-the-dark stars from Amazon. They were only $3, so don't judge me. While gazing up into my homemade galaxy, however, I couldn't help but wonder how the stars are able to shine. How do things glow in the dark? Space is vast and mysterious. Emma. Okay, so my theory is that glow-in-the-dark stuff absorbs light and then spits it back out when it's dark. Well, it spits it back out whether or not it's dark. Um, but kind of, yes. So there, so, so you know, like some, some things you look at, like some markers or pieces of paper and they, they like, for some reason they're, they, 
like seem to be it's not just the color they have they're also like throwing out a di- like like more color than you feel like they should or a different or like a different color than you feel like they should this is especially uh, obvious when you use black light so you have a black light and you're shining the black light on like a white thing and suddenly it looks like that thing is glowing there's like way more light coming out of the shirt than there is going into it it appears right Right. Yes. Yes. I'm familiar with this. So what is in fact happening is that there is light going into that shirt that you can't see. And then it's being re-radiated or not radiate, I guess, but it's being, it's being, uh, it's being re it's like, it's, it, it is absorbed by the atoms in the shirt. And then it, uh, is re-emitted in a different wavelength. So it goes in, electrons do some magic stuff, and then when the electrons do their magic stuff, it co- like the, the fo- another photon comes out, and that photon is at a different la- wavelength that you can see. Um, in a similar way, a, uh, the, the, when you have a glow-in-the-dark thing, the uh, photon go in, and then it messes with the uh, electrons, and then the photon comes out, but there's a delay. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens a bunch, and it happens all the time, and it happens in sort of a curve from, like, you know, the moment when you take the light away is the most photons coming out, and then slowly as time goes on, fewer and fewer uh, of the electrons, or the, of the photons come out. So that that's basically what's happening. I got a huge, I don't know a huge amount about that, but but when light hits a thing, it can change the energy level of a photon go, or of an electron going around the uh, the atom. And then when it drops back down to its old energy level, which will eventually happen sometimes immediately and sometimes after a fair bit of time, it will release another photon. Well, that is interesting. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm so I, I'm glad I know that. It turns out I was basically right all along, and also to the extent that I wasn't right, I don't really understand. Let's move on to this other question from Anonymous, who writes, "Hello, brothers Green. My husband and I just found out that we are pregnant. I, mm, mm, you're pregnant. He is excited. Involved. He's pleased." Or, yes, we're very excited, but would like to wait to tell friends and family until the second trimester when the risk of losing the baby is lower. However, friends and family have already been asking us about our plans to have children, and some have even asked us directly if mm. I am pregnant. Mm-hmm. Those people should be banned. <laughs> they, should not allow, they should not be allowed anymore. I am sure that these questions are well-intentioned, but I still find it hard and awkward to respond. No, duh. Yeah. Uh, signed off, Anonymous. Uh this happened to us. I don't know if this happened to you. It probably did. Mm-hmm. I probably did it for God's sakes. I'm sorry if I did. This happened to us all the time because like Sarah wouldn't be drinking wine and yeah. people would be like, why aren't you drinking wine? Are you pregnant? And Sarah would be like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, now I either have to lie or tell you the thing that I obviously didn't want to tell you. Yeah. And you there are, there are good reasons why people don't want to talk about uh, pregnancy in the first trimester. And that is, or, or whenever, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be up to uh, anybody but you when you tell people th- that you're pregnant and who you tell. Uh, and it is super annoying to ask, and it's incredibly invasive, and don't ask. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, especially, like, the thing that, I, there, there's, I mean, ugh. so, serious note, like, some people try very hard and for a very long time to get pregnant and can't. And then 
you're kind of bringing up a sore subject. Some people ha- have, you know, repeated miscarriages, and then you're bringing up that, and that's no fun for them to deal with. So in general, yeah, it's just sort of like, it's a, it's, it's. I understand why you want to bring it up and why it's funny and why we, why we do it, but like, there's also this, like, it, it's kind of like. You go there and 90% of the time or 99% of the time, it's like fun and like a, a cute, fun thing that happened. Uh, even if you are pregnant and you're like, okay, fine, I'll have to tell you that I'm pregnant and, not, and you, you've uncovered my mystery. And it's not that big of a deal. But like there's that small percentage chance that it's like a really, like you're bringing up a super sore subject and that maybe we don't like, and that they should be up to that person, whether or not they're going to bring that up. So also it's not 90 yeah. or 99% of the time. It's way closer to sure. 75% of the time. I mean, something like a, a quarter of all uh, pregnancies end in miscarriage. So it's just, uh, there is no reason to bring it up. Yep. As far as I'm concerned, that's that I'm, I, I'm sure I'm a little bit biased in that, but yeah, your responsibility, uh, you you should feel free to lie to those people, would be my answer. Because I think they have put themselves in the position where they are going to get lied to. <laughs> yeah, and then when you tell them later, it'll, it, it, they won't be like, oh my god, you're a terrible person for lying to me, you know. Or if they are, you can just be like, well, that's strike two. <laughs> one, more, one more chance and you're out of the friend bucket. This is the bucket where I keep my friends and you're you're... You're leaking out the bottom, my, my bud. Hank, I think that's a wonderful image that we should use more often. I think we should tell people, you're about to leak out of my friend bucket if you don't watch out, mister. I got a friend bucket, and it's got holes in it. Uh, maybe, like, what can we do to patch up our friend buckets, John, so they're not as leaky? I feel like, actually, my friend bucket is not leaky at all. I haven't lost a friend in, like, a decade. Now, I will that's say, true. in my early 20s, I used to lose a lot of friends. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't like had a friend dump me in years. Which maybe it's like maybe you got a bucket and and uh, and you, it's not leaking, but you're like sort of going through your life and it's sloshing around a little bit. So when you have your bucket super full of friends, some are gonna fall out. It's just gonna happen, and that's okay. But when you're like 37 and you have like two friends left, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe I should be a little more careful with this thing. And also, it's harder for them to fall out because. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that also might be one of those places where like the metaphor itself is limited in how far you can take it. Maybe. Possibly. Who knows? (laughs) It could be. It could be. But there's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, and I've I've only got one friend left. All right. Let's go to this other question from Renee, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, my best friend and I shared an apartment while in college, and during that time I gave her access to my Netflix account. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's leaking out the bottom of the friend bucket. (laughs) She has now graduated, and while I was happy to let her use the account while we lived together, I feel like it is time for her to get her own. I pay for Netflix for my whole family, myself, my three siblings, my parents, and my grandmother. And having her use the account adds another person to an already limited server. She also uses my profile and fills the queue with shows I have no interest in watching. Oh, come on! Don't put stuff in the queue! That is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my whole life. Oh, my God. I... It's not your account. Uh, you can, like it's what like you're being done a tremendous nine dollar a month favor, ten dollar a month favor now. I'm and shivering, you, and you just you're abusing that privilege. 
Renee, you need to drill a hole in that friend bucket. I mean, you have to, if you're using someone else's Netflix account, you have to, and, and by the way, I include my, my own spouse in this. Like, when I watch Netflix as Sarah, I have to be an absolute ghost. Don't rate anything. Don't cue anything. Yeah. <laughs> don't list anything. Uh, just be as close to a ghost as I can be. And that's, that's my, we're married, you know? You have separate Netflix profiles? Of course we have separate Netflix profiles. We don't have identical oh, interests. Man. It says who's wow. watching Netflix the moment you log on to Netflix and I say me or Sarah or kids and uh, the kids. I mean, oh, my God, the things my children watch on Netflix. If I have to watch, there's all these Netflix kids shows with no words in them, Hank. I don't, you're not familiar with this yet, but like there's this show Oscars Oasis that I guess is like, you know, it works in every country because there's there's no mm. language. Mm-hmm. Uh it's fascinating the stuff that they choose to watch uh, when they get a hold of, of Netflix, like before we wake up on a Saturday morning. But anyway, yes, Sarah and I have separate Netflix accounts because we watch different kinds of things. Okay. We have like when we watch Netflix together, we can watch on either person's Netflix account. But when we're watching stuff alone, I don't want to have, you know, my bucket poisoned by all the weird, you know, crime procedurals that Sarah likes. I mean, Catherine and I have the exact same interests, John. I, I find that weird. <laughs> I, in, indeed, we do not. And um, I guess is Netflix is Netflix, is Netflix confused by us? They're like, who are these people that like both House of Cards and the Vicar of Dibley? <laughs> is the Vicar of Dibley a real show? Yeah. Oh is. my god! I mean that that show sounds like the best made up show. It's like. <laughs> You walk into the BBC offices, you sit down in front of, you know, the person who makes all the BBC shows. You sit down, you look them dead in the eye, and you say, the Vicar of Dibley. And they just, like, pull out a stamp that says yes. <laughs> They're like, here is, our, here is our highest budget. $300. Go make it. You... <laughs> Yeah, they order like 250 episodes. Yeah. After you I say mean, The Vicar Ka- of Dibley. Catherine doesn't even like The Vicar of Dibley that much. Mostly mom likes that show. She's she watches it on our Netflix account. Oh man. Anyway, point being, Renee, obviously you need to have a talk with your best friend about putting things in your Netflix queue. That is I mean, it's a it's oh, it's not cool. It's a little like I don't understand when you were living together why that person had to have access to your Netflix account at all. It's just it's in the TV. Like, did you have? Did she? Did she need to watch it on her computer? And I guess so you can watch it like different things at different. Oh man! But then you uh, then you're stuck. Honestly, I would go to the best friend. I would go to the best friend and I would say I will pay fifty dollars for your first five months of Netflix mm. on your own, so that you can build your own queue. And I can get your weird stuff out of my queue, so I don't have to keep watching the Vicar. I mean, of it is it is after like it is best friend though. Like you can't you're not gonna unfriend this person. Do you uh, think there's anybody with a Vicar of Dibley tattoo? I mean, there's only one way to find out, John. I know. Hold on, it's a race. <laughs> it's a race. Give me the Google images. Oh my, my God! Yes, yes. Oh my there God! Is. There is. Oh wow! 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 Oh my God! That, that is a Vicar of Dibley really tattoo. Likes Vicar of Dibley. Oh man! Oh man! And it's a big smile. It's, it's a, a big oh, Vicar of yeah. Dibley smile. That's going on the Patreon. Whoo! Saving that to Whoa, desktop right now. D- 
daddy. Oh man, I want to go back in time to the moment before I saw the Vicar of Dibley tattoo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. That is, it's not, it is not a small tattoo. Don't you think it's different? Like, I, I've been very lucky that people have been willing to put uh, stuff that I wrote mm. in quotations on their body. But so far as I know, there's no tattoos of like my face. I think it's different if it's a tattoo, like that is a tattoo of the Vicar of Dibley's smiling face with the cross and the, the yeah. you know, priest, uh-huh. priest outfit and yep. everything. Yep. Oh boy. Oh boy. So, yeah. Oh man. I really, yeah. John Green face tattoo. No, it's just you with peanut butter on your face is all I got. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Um, I think I, there's something extremely intense about having somebody's uh, face yeah. on your body for the rest of your life. Well, The Vicar of Dibley is a very good show. It's very funny, and uh, and and I I, I appreciate uh, super fans in all stripes. Whether whether you're uh, you know well, sending Hank. in clips for 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 weird nerdfighter projects, or whether you're tattooing The Vicar of Dibley on your bicep. Hank, if you like The Vicar of Dibley so much, you know what I think you should do. No. I think you should get a Vicar of Dibley tattoo. I don't have any tattoos, John. And I, I know. Like, it would be a great first tattoo. And people would be like, so why did you pick the Vicar of Dibley? And you'd be like, oh, it's for a goof on my podcast. No, um, I'll be like, well, I've never you know, actually seen to, the program. I wanted to pick a piece of media that I liked but didn't love. Just to be sort of representative of like, they're like I don't want to be too all... Right. anything so i this yeah. is more of a celebration of sort of liking stuff more than a celebration of this particular show <laughs> yeah it came down between the vicar of dibley and ncis los angeles <laughs> a show i've never seen i don't even know if it's real um speaking of which today's podcast is brought to you by the vicar of dibley the vicar of dibley now on netflix that's no, it is it is and also uh available wherever uh, british people are it's just like they walk into a room and it just happens uh this this podcast is additionally brought to you by uh 527 glow-in-the-dark stars available apparently on amazon.com for three bucks and of course today's podcast is also brought to you by uh fighting to the death against a coyote Fighting to the death against the coyote. Not totally confident. Yeah, no. Unless you got that unless you got that chain mail made out of staples. Hank, I want to answer another question because I actually feel like I might be able to help with this one. Probably not, but maybe. This question comes from Dinah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've come to realize I have a major social anxiety disorder and it's really starting to back me into a corner. Uh, then they talk about uh, going to an expensive therapist for six months and feeling like they weren't making progress. And then there are a number of phone calls I have to make and emails I have to send. Some are intimidating. Others are so simple. They shouldn't intimidate me, but I'm just avoiding all of it. And I know I am and I keep doing it and I feel like I'm in such a rut. I don't know if I should see another therapist or if it's just time to grow up. I don't know. This problem is only getting worse. Your dubious advice would be appreciated. Dinah or possibly Dina. I'm not very good at pronunciations. Um, so this is something that everybody experiences, not just people who have anxiety problems, right? Like Hank, you have definitely experienced needing to send an email and not being able to. Yes. In fact, I did that all weekend. So, um, in my experience, and I, I want to be clear that I am not a therapist, and I do think that you should see a therapist. I think that you should see somebody who is experienced in helping with this. However, in my experience, avoidance does not make the problem better. 
uh, at least over time. It might make you feel better right now, but it won't. It it it, it will. You're right that the problems tend to get worse when avoidance is the main strategy. So here's my strategy. Like in that email, you say some of these emails are so simple they shouldn't intimidate me. What what well, but they do. So it doesn't matter like should or shouldn't. Like don't put that values judgment mm-hmm. on it. Let's just send those emails today now actually let's not not if you're driving uh no distracted driving (laughs) pause the pause Pause the pod pod, pull over get out your laptop get connected to wireless get get on get on the internet wi-fi that's on yeah get on that panera wi-fi and um (laughs) and break that task up into what however many little chunks you need to break it up into in order to get it done because once you start rolling down the hill of getting things done and stopping avoiding them like anything it gets easier each Uh time uh and you will love the feeling of being on the other side of this and you know that uh but the only way to get on the other side of it is to break it up into tiny little tasks you open the you open your email program you go to compose you hit reply whatever um and you look at you reread the email to get to the parts that you need to reply to and then you write the reply and then you send it just break it up into constituent parts uh and once you start it's going to feel so much better because i think in my experience anyway it's the avoidance it's the sort of behavioral response to the anxiety that makes that I think will make the anxiety better by like not doing the thing that's scaring me. Um, But often in the medium and long run makes the anxiety worse. Absolutely the case for me. Um, I, I mean, so much of, of the negative emotions I have are due to, you know, in part having signed up to do more than I may be physical, physically capable of, but also you know, knowing that those things are there and not doing it because, and it's, it's, it's the not doing it that makes me uncomfortable and unhappy. It's, it's not the actual process of doing it. Like, like not doing it is holding me back from doing it in a weird way. Did that make sense? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the, the like dread of not doing something becomes, overwhelming it becomes the primary experience that you're having it becomes like it becomes the work you know like yeah i've i i've i've found that ever since i was a kid like i remember being a kid and my parents saying to me if you just started this project when you started worrying about it it would be Uh over (laughs) you know like and that's still true for me like i still it's still something i struggle with but that that's what works for me is just like saying this starts now and we're going to break it up into tiny little parts. And I'm not going to judge myself for it being hard because it may not be hard for everyone, but it's super hard for me. And that's the way it is. Uh-huh. Before we move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to um, share an important piece of news. Okay. Hank, you may remember that a few weeks ago, Sarah wrote in to ask about her husband shaving his head mm. uh, because he wanted to shave his head to know what his head looks like. Um, and we answered and we told him that he should shave his head. So there was a head shaving party. Good news. Sarah reports that her husband's head does not look weird shaved. 
Um, and <laughs> there is an amazing video of it, of the highlights of the head shaving party, because they went all out. It was a full on uh, head shaving bash. And we are putting that on the Patreon because it I mean, is I'm watching the video just right absolutely now. magnificent. And this bash is, uh, it just appears to be two people in a room with, a, with an electric I mean, razor. You could, first off, you know that there is a third person because somebody is holding the sure, camera. Okay. Three, peop- Secondly, three people is a party. Sarah is wearing what appears to be a formal gown. So She's it is obviously a party. She's wearing an apron, John. What? Oh, that's you an are apron. confused by you are confused by there is another man another man has shown up. There is okay. There's at least four people, <laughs> one of whom came pre pre head shaved or at least pre bald. Oh yeah, he was yeah he's he's not shaved balded he's not, in advance. He's not shaved. He, that, that just happened to him over over years. Is he drinking Lacroix? Mm, very possibly. Hold on, I gotta zoom in. I gotta go to 720p, yeah. and zo- that is a Lacroix. In fact, I can tell you right now. <laughs> Uh, I, that's a pink LaCroix. What is that pink flavor? Is it cran raspberry? I've, I've never had a pink LaCroix. I don't think I'm a real pompadour. So yeah, I can confirm that's a cran raspberry LaCroix and I can confirm that this is a party because if there's LaCroix and four people, that is a bash. (laughs) Um, and I'm looking at his head. His head is now shaved even more than his, his face is. And it looks great. great Good head In terms of shape, I'm going to say that's just, it's an A plus. Hank good head shape John, what is the news from mars um well it looks like elon musk uh being you know our only chance uh to beat our deadline of 2028 uh is has uh scheduled his, the the launch uh, the first test launch of the falcon heavy rocket which is the the rocket that um elon hopes will will take people to mars and and has enough uh oomph to to have people on top of it and get them all the way there. And it will have its first test launch, not in 2013, John, when it was first scheduled, not in 2014, when it was second uh, scheduled, but indeed this year in November, John, he's, he's it, how's it looking for 2027? It's not good, not not good at all. Uh, indeed, this, this test launch might not even reach space. It probably will just be a super test. Uh, their uh, their their Mars mission dates have been pushed pushed back to 2018 and 2020. It seems unlikely that they'll hit that. You know, Elon Musk is good at getting stuff done, but he's not. And I'm not saying that it's like I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm I'm pretty impressed, honestly. Not hitting deadlines, but uh, but also making things happen. It seems to be a lot of what's happening with my my man Musk these days. Yeah, he seems to be one of those people who realizes that if he just slightly overpromises, then he can get people, um, including himself, to work harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like he was like, "We're going to be done with the Tesla Model Three in July," and he was like, "Look, we finished one." <laughs> I didn't say. I said, "Uh, not the uh." You misheard me. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's a, a, a huge difference between uh and the. Uh, Hank, the news from AFC Wimbledon uh, is that a contractor has been announced. I don't uh, know what for, that is. Well, do you know how when you uh, build a building, oh, it is necessary a to contractor. have a contractor? Like, a, like a just contractor. a regular, okay, for like a building. Okay, yeah. A contractor has been announced for the new stadium at Plow Lane, Andrew Scott Limited, uh, which uh, built Stoke City's stadium. They're in the Premier League now, so 
Um, I don't know if there's necessarily a one-to-one correlation, but let's, we can keep our fingers crossed. Uh, they are going to be, they are the preferred contractor for the new stadium at Plow Lane. Um, really, really exciting news because as each of these little steps forward, it becomes more and more likely that indeed there will be a new stadium in Wimbledon's historic home maybe even for the 2019-2020 season, meaning that uh, AFC Wimbledon are going to be back home at least eight years before humans will be on Mars and probably 10 years or maybe even 14, 16, 40. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, at this point... Will you live to see a person on Mars, Hank? At this point, I, I just I hope that I live to see human humanity discontinue to get better in lots of different ways. And whether that's our understanding and exploration of our solar system and universe, that's great. But also just take care of each other and being nice and not not Hank, not driving not driving humans apart and making them angry at each other all the time. Hank, uh, real quickly, I just have to break a little bit of political news to you. Um, people listening to this will be listening to it, of course, in the future when all of this will be known. But I am about to tell you something that you don't know, which is that Donald Trump has just fired Anthony Scaramucci after eight days as White House communications director. In deeply shocking news. Oh my God, that is amazing. Eight days. Hank. <sighs> what? Oh, well, you know, John, <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not sad about it. No, I don't think um, I don't. I will not miss him, although I would like some continuity in American. You know, John, you know mm. what I want? I want to have never known that that guy exists. Yeah, that would have been great. But that's not how it went down. Hank, what did we learn today? That you can't keep track of this. And like, you just can't. The other day, my mom said something about Corey Lewandowski. And I was like, who? Because it's Uh, just, there's too many of them. And they come so fast. It's it's something of a strategy to have like, to have these news cycles be constant. I think it must be a strategy because it's really effective in a way. Like I I have a lot of friends who've published books in the last six months, and there's a rule that you never publish a book in the like six months before an American presidential election because you can't get any media to cover it because the only thing that the media is talking about is politics. And the genius of what's happened in the Trump administration, I mean, you can say a lot of bad things about it and and we have but the genius of it is that it has taken that six months before presidential election and extended it infinitely so now you also can't get any media attention for your new book because for people are too busy talking about the events of the day yeah, well because the events of the day are always perpetually dramatic and astonishing yeah, yeah. It, it, and dramatic in it is the is the word because it's not it doesn't necessarily have a significant effect on things but it is dramatic and it is it is sort of amazing and, and it's not just it's it's everything like there in previous years we've had the ability to like win a famine on the level of the one that is happening right now in Sudan could get some traction and there's just no space for it no, nobody is he- right. There's no space to talk it. about cholera in Yemen. There's no space. Yeah, no, that's very true. And it, it's true for every news story that doesn't start uh, Donald Trump today, comma. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
It's it's a weird time. But we also learned that Oscars Oasis oh. is a children's yeah. television program uh, with no well, words. Well, I in learned it. that. I, I have a feeling that you you knew that quite well. We learned that you got a friend bucket, John, and you don't want to slosh it too much, but you don't want to not slosh it at all. We learned that it is not okay to put your shows in someone else's Netflix queue. No, no. And we learned that Catherine and I should probably have separate Netflix account or thingies so that it knows when to show up that good old vicar from Dibley and when it knows to show me what I would have watched, which is... Mostly just nature documentaries. Hank, this is going to stun you because it stunned me. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Is it more about the mooch? Oh, uh, no. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's that uh, there is actually no English place name Dibley. It is a made up place name, which seems so unlikely because all English place names sound made up. But the village of Dibley actually is made up. (laughs) Why didn't they just pick one of the amazing actual names? No joke. Why didn't they just pick like Hertfordshire land bottoms <laughs> or whatever? Scunthorpe. Oh God. What you, what's the what? Yeah. Uh, wet wang. <laughs> oh God. Nothing matters. Thanks for listening to uh, Dear Hank and John. If you have questions, you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Uh, we apologize for making the Trump media inundation worse by mentioning him here at the end of the pod. That's that's our bad. Uh, but you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Your emails are always welcome and appreciated. I also have to apologize because, of course, by next Monday when this comes out, this is going to be the oldest news that ever happened. 27, 27 Scar- high-ranking White House officials will have yeah. been fired in the interim. Anthony Scaramucci will have been fired for longer than he was hired by that point. Hank, before I let you read the credits, I just want to, uh, Rosiana just sent me a tweet from at mm. Sarcastic Rover, the uh, Mars rover sure, sure. who is professionally sarcastic, uh-huh. who tweeted, Mars is so far away from Earth that we only just heard about Scaramucci getting hired as communications director. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm sure everything's going great. Uh, this podcast is produced by Rosiana Hulse Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications and handles all of our Patreon stuff. Which you can go over and check our great Patreon where you can see that Vicar of Dibley tattoo and also the dude getting his head shaved. Uh, if you want to email us, that's at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. John's John Green. I'm Hank Green. This music that you're hearing is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown... Don't Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.